You're listening to the Grow Your Own Food Podcast, a show dedicated to helping you grow fresh fruit, vegetables, and even grains in your own backyard. In every episode, you'll get growing tips, recipe inspiration, and more. Ready to get growing? Then let's jump in. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 27 of the Grow Your Own Food podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Smith, and today I'm going to be sharing some vegetable garden layout tips that are going to be especially helpful for all you beginning gardeners out there. And those of you who might be a little bit more experienced might learn a few helpful tips as well, especially when it comes to which plants to plant together, which plants that you should space farther apart, and all that good stuff. So we're going to be covering that today, but first, a word from today's sponsor. So maybe you're totally new to gardening, or if you're not totally new to gardening, maybe you finally have the space for a much bigger garden, and you are going to be planting and growing a lot more fruits and vegetables than you're used to. Knowing how to lay out all those fruits and vegetables so that you have the greatest chances of success can be kind of tricky, honestly. I'm going to be walking you through some of the tips that I've learned when it comes to laying out or planning your garden, and hopefully that'll help you as you go about planning your garden for next year. So the very first thing that I would recommend, if you don't do this already, and for new gardeners, this is going to be a really important tip, would be to look up the growth habit, and by that I mean both the width and the height of the mature plants that you're planning on growing. So you know how big it's going to get and how much space you need for each plant. Now, if you practice square foot gardening, this is probably something that you already know a lot about, but if you've never heard of square foot gardening, then this is something maybe you've never considered, and and maybe you're considering growing a garden for the first time, and this is not something that's occurred to you, because some of these plants get really big, and they need a little bit extra space. So as you are going about planning your garden layout for the following season, make sure that you take into account the size at maturity of each one of the types of plants that you're planning on growing. So the first official tip I'm going to give you, which honestly doesn't really occur to most people, most people would think that this is counterintuitive, I think, would be to spread out plants that belong to the same family. And you might think that keeping them all together is a great idea. They have similar needs, so you know that they'll get along really well. But the problem with having plants of all the same family growing together is that they're often attacked by the same pests. So for instance, um, cabbage worms, they all go after anything in the brassica family. So they don't just go after cabbages, they go after broccoli, they go after cauliflower, and they will strip a plant down to the stem in in no time. And that's a lot easier to avoid having that happen to everything in the brassica family that you've planted if you spread those plants out. Now, it's not going to stop it completely, but it's going to help you maybe identify it on one plant and then protect those other brassica plants in your garden before they get completely destroyed. 
My next tip would be don't put heavy feeders all in one place. So heavy feeders are things that take a lot of nutrients and energy to fruit. And any plant that gets really big and produces a lot of fruit is going to be a heavy feeder. So plants like melon, squash, corn is definitely a heavy feeder. Tomatoes, broccoli, they're all nitrogen hogs and they're all going to require a lot of nitrogen and other nutrients out of the soil to produce well. And by putting them next to one another, you're going to be exhausting the nutrient supply in the soil really quickly. So if you spread them out, interspersing them with things that don't need as much food, things like root crops or legumes, you're going to have to fertilize them much less often. So I would say, you know, don't plant your broccoli next to your tomatoes. You can plant squash near corn. Um, A lot of people know about the three sisters method where People would grow squash, corn, and beans all in the same place, but it's really a good idea to make sure if you're going to do that, that you include the beans because those beans are nitrogen fixing and they're going to kind of counteract that need for nitrogen that squash and corn both have in abundance. My third tip would be to understand how the sun hits your garden and then according to that, put your tall plants in the back. (laughs) So um, this goes back to my very first recommendation, which was understand the growth habit of your plants that you're planning on growing in your garden. And understanding how tall your plants get is, is a big deal because if you plant them, you know, in the front or on the side of things and the sun isn't able to get to certain plants in the garden because those taller plants shade them from the sun, they're not going to grow as well. It's kind of like how in grade school you'd put the tall kids in the back of the class picture, right? It's the same with your veggies. Put the tall plants where they won't overshadow the smaller plants and block the sunlight. Generally, you want tall plants on the western side of garden beds, right? So the sun moves from east to west. So if you put your tall plants on the western side of your garden bed, generally you're going to be pretty safe. And if you're not sure how tall a particular plant gets, check the back of your seed packet. If it's not there or you bought a seedling, you can easily search online for that plant's standard growth habit. It's honestly really easy to find through Googling. Now, my fourth tip is really kind of specific. It's really just for people who grow or are wanting to grow corn or have grown corn in the past and maybe haven't had the best success. It's important to know that corn is wind pollinated and it's a little more sensitive to wind pollination than say tomatoes are. Tomatoes are also wind pollinated, but you have everything you need right there in that tomato blossom, right? The pollen from the stamen and the pistil. So even just the slightest bit of breeze will pollinate that tomato blossom generally. But the way corn works is it it shoots up all those tassels, right? Those are typically the first thing that you see, and the pollen is there on the tassels. The corn stalks, when they put out their corn silks, that's the female part of the plant. And so in order for that, those corn silks, which are actually, each one is attached to a potential corn kernel, in order for it to be pollinated, the wind has to blow enough that those pollen beads on the top top tassel kind of filter and float down to those corn silks and touch enough of the corn silks that it will pollinate corn kernels that are on the cob. 
So you want the silks to have as many ways as possible to get pollen from the tassels up top, front, back, left, and right. That's why a lot of vegetable gardeners who plant corn lay it out in blocks rather than long rows. I know we're really used to seeing corn planted in long rows in the fields, but those long rows go for acres at a time, right? So the wider the block, four wide or even five wide, the better the chance you have of creating stalks with multiple full ears of corn. Bare minimum, I would say, for planting corn is at least three rows wide. Again, four or five wide would be even better. And you should also take note of the direction of wind in your garden. That should definitely come into play here. Corn usually does best when planted east to west because the crosswinds really help with pollination. Tip number five for garden layout would be to have a plan for climbing vines. You might think that you can plant peas or beans and worry about what they'll climb later, but any trellis should really be in place whenever you plant those pea or bean seeds. If you put a trellis in place after the plant has started growing, you run the risk of damaging the seedling's roots and then also just obstructing the growth of the seedling that has already started to sort of make its way upward. Also, the plant may have already decided on the way it wants to grow. If you have planted peas or beans before, you know that they kind of wave around a lot in search of something to kind of grab onto. If you don't have that trellis there from day one, they're going to grab onto a neighbor or something that, that you'd rather they didn't. And it makes it a lot harder to get it trained to climb the way you want it to. You can sort of unwind the little tendrils and sort of train it back onto the trellis if you've put it there a little late. Um, but you're probably going to have to do that, mm, I would say, more than a couple times in my own experience. Because vines will climb or not climb anything they please. They definitely have a mind of their own. My fifth tip, and it's kind of similar because it has to do with vines, would be to make room for sprawling vines. Just like climbing vines, sprawling vines will go wherever they want to. Climbing vines are for plants like peas and beans, things that are smaller, produce pods. Sprawling vines are for things that are larger, things like winter squash is a really good example. Um, summer squash is also a really good example. And if you're lucky enough to get a really strong plant, vines can quickly overwhelm your beds with a plant that has sprawling vines. So if you're not growing things like melons or winter squash vertically, which you can by the way, their stems are definitely strong enough that you can grow them up a really sturdy, um, let's say wooden or steel trellis. It's something that I do that saves a ton of space in my garden. If you're not doing that, you wanna make sure that you're leaving plenty of room in your garden beds for those sprawling vines. And that doesn't mean that you can't grow anything else in the beds with them, honestly. Root crops like potatoes and carrots are great companion plants for plants with a sprawling habit because they grow underground. And yes, they do have a plant part that kind of reaches upward, but they don't take nearly as much room as something else that's going to sort of branch out like tomatoes, broccoli, things like that. Next tip would be to consider companion plants. So I have a post on my blog, bnbasil.com, about companion planting. And it really just espouses the idea that some plants just don't get along and some plants really like each other. 
So if you're growing lots of varieties, designing a garden layout might end up feeling like you're putting together a puzzle because you have to figure out, you know, which plants do and don't like each other, how far apart to space them. My post about companion planting has a lot of different ideas for companion planting. I actually, in that blog post, have a link to a free companion planting cheat sheet. But if you have plants that you're wanting in your garden that I don't have listed on that cheat sheet or in my blog post, Google can give you a lot of suggestions for common companion planting ideas. Or a digital garden planner like the Farmer's Almanac Garden Planner is also a great tool with tons of companion planting info. You get a seven day trial for free and I think the one year subscription is like $9.99 or something really reasonable like that. I honestly, I use it every single year for planning my garden layout. My last garden layout tip would be to keep herbs as close to the house as possible. Honestly, there's nothing better than fresh herbs in a summer meal. I love the heck out of them until I've got two pans going on the stove and I realize, crap, I need fresh herbs. And I have to run out and go clip them and hope that by the time I get back, the things that I've had on the stove don't burn. Because in the moment, for whatever reason, it never occurs to me to just turn the burner off for a moment or two while I run outside. I know I'm not the only one who does this. So dashing outside to gather a handful of thyme or oregano is a lot more manageable when herbs are as close as possible to the kitchen. And it's a lot less likely to lead to a burned dinner while you're at it. So that is it for today in terms of garden planning layout tips. I've got several more on my blog. Like I said, I have that companion planting post. I have ideas on how to plan a pollinator-friendly garden, which I'll probably make a whole episode about, but if that's something that you want to weave into your garden plans for next year, I do have a post on that. You can just head on over to beeandbasil.com and search for pollinator, and that post should pop right up for you. Otherwise, thank you so very much for listening, and I will see you guys in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Grow Your Own Food podcast. Visit beeandbasil.com for helpful how-to articles, images, and recipes.